Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. It's All Souls Day, a very special day in our church to remember the three parts of the church, the church triumphant, those saints in heaven, the glory of the church. Christ conquers sin in our lives, and those are the saints who are living and reigning with Christ in heaven. We celebrated All Saints Day yesterday. Today marks All Souls Day, where we're praying, intervening for souls in purgatory. They are the church suffering, and we are the church militant here on earth. Welcome to Trending with Tim Ray. It's a special day, I hope for you as well, to have today be a day where we both pray for our departed loved ones, but also celebrate and remember their lives and remember the importance of dying well and honoring the law that we all face at the end of our life of death and trusting in God after death. Our toll-free line today, if you'd like to share a faithful story of the death of one of your loved ones, a story of dying well, of God's mercy and triumph, I would love to hear from you and your story. I know we have some in our own family. Our toll-free line is 888-914-9149, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. We will discuss everything from what is purgatory, the practice of Santa Muerta. We'll dive into praying for the dead versus trying to communicate with the dead. It's actually more common than you might realize. Also, touch on plenary indulgences and a very special plenary indulgence that you can receive now in this octave of all souls by visiting a cemetery. So stay with me. I'd love to hear from you your faithful stories of the death of your loved ones, of how faith is there at the end of life. If you are like myself, I've seen everything from the beautiful deaths of family members to tragedies as well. As a young girl, I remember a young boy died of childhood cancer in my community. I saw uh, one of my co- my cousins, my teenage cousins, who uh, had their father die when they were a teenager, my uncle. I saw, I've seen the death of loved ones at the end of their life. We've had a lot of deaths in our family and with friendships over the years, uh, some of which are more challenging than others. I've shared a little bit before the challenge of one of my own cousins who grew up in my household off and on throughout my life, struggled as a teenager into his later years with addiction. And he committed suicide some years ago when I was in college. It was a really difficult death, a very close and near and dear family member. So like yourself, our life is riddled by the rule of death that it is through death that we have life with God, but it's also through a good and holy death, a life lived well. But also God in his great mercy offers us, opens up the floodgates of mercy that not of us, all of us will die in a state of grace. If we don't die in a state of grace, well, then 
the way of damnation and hell is before us. If we do die in a state of grace, but we haven't quite detached from venial sin, well, then the door to purgatory is open to us where we need to be purged of our sins so that we can glory and ponder the beatific vision of Christ. We'll talk a little bit more about purgatory later on. But just sharing memories I have growing up of deaths that uh, I think had a lasting impact on me. I remember my cousins uh, lost their father at a young age. They were teenagers. He was younger as well. And I remember all of our family members uh, gathered around uh, our uncle, and we were there, this hospital bed, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents, praying for him until his last dying breath and spending that time with him. I've also seen the tragedy, for example, during COVID of a loved, beloved uncle of mine who during COVID lockdowns, living in a home for the elderly where they had been sending COVID patients, he died suddenly of COVID. He contracted COVID and we didn't have that opportunity those last moments, especially with the lockdown, to spend that time with him. Even at that time being denied the opportunity of a proper funeral when even unfortunately and Honestly, unfathomably today, we weren't allowed to celebrate funerals for some reason. I've seen, I remember my great-grandmother, whom I grew up very close to. I'll share with you a little bit of her story later on because it ties into this topic of curiosity when it comes to our loved ones after their death. And I think it's a big topic, finding the balance between praying for the dead versus this idea that seems more common yet again of trying to communicate with our loved ones who have died. So we'll dive into that topic. But if you have a faithful story of the death of a loved one, I would love to hear your story. The number is 888-914-9149. This is the day where we remember our loved ones. We pray for them. I hope if you haven't already uh, that you'll go to Mass today or make it a tradition in your family to go to Mass. I know growing up, my mom always made sure that our whole family went to Mass on not just All Saints Day, that was a holy day of obligation, but All Souls day as well, remembering the importance of death of our loved ones and to pray for them that they might enter into the glory of the kingdom of heaven. Some people go to purgatory and have no one to pray for them. And I'll share some fascinating stories with you about purgatory that I might think might be a little more eye-opening. But on the line now is Melissa from New Mexico. Melissa, welcome to Trending. What's your story of a faithful death in your family? Hi there, yes. Um, I wanted to share about um, the recent loss of my father, which was earlier this spring. And um, I had learned that my father was ill um, pretty suddenly. And I asked my family, which I have a very large family and very deep in faith, um, if we could gather and pray um, a rosary for him, because I was concerned that he may not want to be seen um, at the hospital. Anyhow, we gathered, um, and it was almost a month to the day um, when I initiated that first rosary. Um, from then on, we um, decided to pray the novena to Our Lady, Undoer of Knots, um, which is one of Pope Francis's favorite novenas. And I understood that it helps those who are struggling with addiction um, and other ailments, um, and my father was, you know, um, a victim to some of that. And in the course of the month that we had in praying the novena, my 
my dad was very much granted some of God's grace and mercy in that time because um, what I found most beautiful was on the day that he passed was Our Lady of Fatima's um, uh, feast day. And Mm. he passed a little after 3 p.m. And um, that whole day, I could just very much feel the Holy Spirit with me and my mother and being at his side. And, you know, it was just a very powerful experience. And it not only, you know, restored a deep faith for me, but, you know, within my family and helped us actually come together when we had been a little um, distant or fragmented. And I just wanted to share that. Mostly, it's a powerful testimony of the importance of us helping to intervene for our loved ones, to help them die well, to pray them through the mercy of Christ, hopefully, into heaven or at least purgatory. But especially, as you mentioned, with the fact that he had struggled with addiction, you know, there were things there uh, that him could impact right his soul and so i appreciate you sharing this story and you having prayed the novena to our lady endure of knots before his death and it's a great reminder of the importance of the great sacraments and those final sacraments of the church and the anointing of the sick also known as last rites where we have confession anointing and if you're very blessed to have that apostolic pardon at the end of your death thank you for sharing your story melissa if you'd like to share the story of a faith-filled death of a family member or loved one the number is 888-914-914 Today marks the celebration of prayer for the souls in purgatory. It's a celebration. Why? Because it's a celebration of God's mercy. And the it's a reminder for us. It's a feast day for us, too, to remember that we are called to intervene for our loved ones. Now, in this three-day uh, series of events from All Hallows' Eve, that, which is now shortened and referred to as Halloween, and in many respects has its secular elements, to All Saints' Day, celebrated yesterday, and now All Souls' Day, there have been many things that have been brought into this three days of the church's feasting and celebration and commemoration. One of the things that has uh, interested me over the last handful of years is the sudden increase over the last 20 years of a growing cult movement toward what's referred to as Santa Morte. It really has its roots in paganism. We will talk a little bit more about how it was a part of more recently Latin America and its widespread adoption, almost trying to tie together part of the Mayan and Aztec cultures and combine it with our Catholic faith. It's really interesting, but if you're not familiar with Santa Morte, I do want to touch on it because I think it's important. Santa Morte has become a non-saint that some people celebrate. It's a female skeleton. Uh, Some people like to claim that it has Mary-like dimensions with a veil and a so-called holy-sounding name, but Santa Muerte stands for the saint of death, essentially, is what it refers to. And as I mentioned, there's been a sudden increase in I don't want to say devotion uh, to this, but in adoption of this practice, it has even become a little bit of a party culture with the macabre. And it is interesting because the Catholic Church condemned the cult of Santa Muerte in Mexico, Latin America, and even parts of the United States more commonly celebrated, especially in places such as California, New Mexico, and Texas. And it's been declared very clearly as blasphemous and outright satanic by the Catholic Church and that it's a degeneration, the Church says, of religion. It's In other words, counterfeit faith. And why do I bring it up today? Because I think it's important that we get death right, that we have a healthy perspective surrounding death and not take pagan elements and appropriate and 
and bring it into our Catholic faith. Now, the Mayan and Aztec culture pulled together a combination, essentially, of deities that they had, deities of death, and they tried to combine it with the idea of the Catholic saints, making a hybrid of the two with a so-called Santa Muerte that are is celebrated over these couple of days. It reminds me very much so of a Mayan and Aztec version of the Golden Calf, where... <laughs> People get busy. People get bored. They start to make up their own ideas, just like the Israelites who were lost in the desert seeking the promised land as Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the commandments of God down below the mountain. The people are bored. They're starting to murmur against God. They're feeling to trust in him. And so they convince Aaron to build them a golden gaff by taking together all of their jewelry and melting it down and building an idol of a calf for them to worship. When we participate in things such as Santa Muerte and have a disoriented celebration of death, which is outright paganist, blasphemous, and as a church has pointed to it, it's satanic, it's important that we have that distinction. Even the Vatican, as recently as 2013, condemned devotion to Santa Muerte, equating it to the celebration of hell. Now, why do I bring this up today on All Souls Day? Because I think there's a lot of cultural elements in many faith, I think, I would say in many different ethnic groups that we tend to try and push onto our Catholic faith. I shared earlier in the week about how even witchcraft has been pulled into elements of Irish Catholic faith or Italian Catholic faith at times. And our Catholic culture is so rich in the truth of Jesus Christ. It is reasonable, but it also goes beyond our understanding of human reason to the supernatural, to the transcendent, which I think is important when we ponder death, that we are understanding we're here as people on a mission, a mission to direct and orient and conform our lives to Jesus Christ. And when we start to adopt various things such as the culture surrounding Santa Muerte and others, we miss the richness of our Catholic culture. And we're essentially engaging in what is false gods. And it's interesting because Santa Muerte is referred to in some respects as a non-judgmental saint who can be invoked for some not-so-holy petitions. That doesn't sound like a saint at all. The first commandment is, I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no strange gods before me. And so this brings me to this topic of having a healthy understanding of loving our deceased family and friends and praying for them versus ignoring the rich tradition of the celebration of the dead through our intercession and God's mercy. You see, we can very easily, I think, turn our loved ones into false gods, even our deceased loved ones. And Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, ultimately All Saints' Day, directing us into All Souls' Day, I think for many people, it's a lot of curiosity surrounding death and for some, even communicating with deceased loved ones. For some people, it's a matter of fun and morbid curiosity, but we can distract ourselves because of that. I think from the gift of Christ's mercy that he is extending to us through the very clear teaching of there are three places we can go, heaven, hell, or purgatory after our death, and that we have a role here on earth as a church militant, that's what we're referred to, to intervene for the church suffering, those people who have merited purgatory on the way in God's timing through his mercy to heaven, but they need to be purged of those things that haven't quite been purified in them. And I'll discuss more of the church's teaching on purgatory a little later. But one of the questions I often find 
is that question of, well, where is my loved one? Where is their final resting place? Are they in heaven? Are they in hell? Are they in purgatory? Where have our loved ones gone? Some people might ask, can we communicate with them? Can we ask them to intervene in our lives? And this brings, I think, for many of us, this question of curiosity, wishful thinking, and a desire to know, a desire for the truth. I understand I've seen, as I mentioned earlier, many deaths, the, the very sorrowful and the challenging to the joyful. And might I say, well done. I remember when I was about 13 years old, my great-grandmother died, and I absolutely adored her. I spent the last couple of months of her life staying with her off and on, helping to take care of her as I was able, just enjoying company with her. I remember doing her hair and painting her nails and talking to her and watching her very quickly deteriorate. We knew these were our last moments with her. She was in her 80s, and I was there when she died. I remember when she received last rites, and it was a season where when she died, her life through the grace of the church and the great organization of our faith, we were able to then mark her life with a funeral mass, a graveside burial. The priest was there praying for the soul of our grandmother. And our my grandmother, for me, was who inspired me to go to daily mass. When I first got my driver's license at 16, it was because of her, okay, well, now I can drive. I'm going to go to mass like grandma. Uh, it was my mother, and along with my grandma's example of praying the daily rosary. They did it, so I did it too. And that's how I got into the practice of the rosary. And so the faith of our loved ones can be so inspiring, and we are called to help our loved ones in dying well and honoring them after their death by praying to God for his mercy, his abundant mercy to take them to heaven. I was actually, when I got married, I wore my great-grandmother's wedding dress that we refurbished. It was a long-sleeve, floor-length, very dainty, delicate lace from the 1930s. It was such a joy to be able to wear that for my wedding dress. Beautiful. And on So interestingly, on the day of my wedding, about five years ago, we're coming up on our five-year wedding anniversary, it was a time for me, I was thinking a lot about my great-grandmother. I would have loved for her to have met my husband. I would have loved for her to be there that day. I was thinking about the beautiful wedding dress. We even post some of our wedding photos similar to the way that my great-grandmother had her wedding photos posed with similar wedding bouquets. And as I was getting ready and leaving my house and traveling to the church for the wedding, I remember there were birds of paradise flowers everywhere in perfect radiant bloom. And if you know the flower, it's a very unique flower. That was my grandmother's favorite flower, ironically, a very unique flower. And she, she loved them. They were surrounding her house and it was interesting that day because they were everywhere, everywhere, and they kept reminding me of her. And you could ask the question, some people might say, oh, that's a sign that your grandmother's looking down upon you from heaven. Or you might say that's a gift from God and God's providential timing that you're being married, you're wearing your grandmother's wedding dress, somewhat remiss of her not being there. And you see, because you're thinking of her, this flower that you're noticing more so today because you're remembering her. And I think it was interesting because I remember having conversations with people and people would say, oh, your grandmother's looking down upon you on your wedding day. And my take on this is a challenge for all of us. 
And I think it's a safe and pious take. We can't assume where someone is after death. However, something we can do as a means of still loving them is praying for their souls. In fact, piety is one of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's why I think a pious approach to the death of our loved ones is to really focus in on the importance and we, when we miss our family members, when we missed our friends who have died before us, that we see the difference between praying for the dead versus trying to make assumptions about God's judgment or trying to make assumptions about how we should still be able to communicate with the dead. I think there's a lot of superstition surrounding death rather than a celebration of people's lives and the opportunity for us to prayerfully intervene for them. I don't know about you, but I certainly believe that God is more powerful than I, and by humbly depending on his mercy, I let him do the work and the decision-making on where people are after death. But this is an opportunity, a distinctly Catholic opportunity to suffer for and joyfully pray for, even joyfully suffer for our loved ones. So I mentioned earlier, we had a very tragic death in my family when I was in college devastating. I'll never forget the day. Uh, My mom called me and I found out that my cousin who lived with us off and on throughout my life had committed suicide. It was a devastating death in my family. And I'll never forget as we are mourning the death of my cousin, and the church's teaching is merciful on this. If you look to the catechism, and I spent quite a bit of time you know, in prayer diving into the church's teaching on what happens when someone commits suicide, when someone despairs, despairs of the mercy of God, despairs of the, of the grace of God. And praise God, the church's teaching does teach that you know, perhaps we can't judge or know where a person was at or completely their state of mind. Uh, They may have been under the influence, which could potentially decrease their culpability. And so we're still able to have a funeral for him. But I remember our family friend who was the priest celebrating that mass looked at us very challengingly, Father Marks, and he was very blunt in that we had the responsibility because we have no idea where our cousin was, that we needed to pray for him. We needed to offer masses for him. We needed to intervene for his soul and to celebrate and remember him. That's the best way. And we need to be honest with ourselves, not not turning him into an idol in his death, that we recognize the reality of the importance of dying well. And I remember some family members had a hard time at that homily because they wanted to be comforted. They wanted to be told, he's in heaven, Let's just, you know, celebrate his life. This is the Catholic thing we do. We have a funeral. We bury him and move along. No, Father reminded us of the importance of dying well, but even more so, he challenged us. You need to have masses celebrated for him. You need to pray for him. I pray for my cousin every single day. I pray for my great-grandmother every single day. This is what it means to approach death as a Catholic. And this is why the church has given us this great, great celebration of God's mercy when we look at All Souls Day, because we're turning to God's mercy that none of us actually on our own can merit heaven. But through the grace of Jesus Christ, we may be able to go there. And if you have questions about purgatory, I'll dive into that a little bit more later on. But it's my hope in pondering the death of loved ones that we 
love and miss our deceased loved ones ultimately through prayer, fasting, and having masses offered for them, which is very contradictory to a rising culture of the occult that continues to grow where people want to turn to medians, seances, psychics, Ouija boards, and necromancy as a means for communicating with the dead. That one last conversation, that question of discernment, what should I do? The Catechism of the Catholic Church points very clearly that a sound Christian attitude consists in putting oneself confidently into the hands of providence for whatever concerns the future and giving up all unhealthy curiosity. It actually points to how important it is to understand things such as divination, which is what seances, medians, psychics, Ouija boards, necromancy all are. That all of these things of the occult from horoscopes to clairvoyances that when we go, the catechism says, quoting When we recourse to mediums, all conceal, all of them conceal a desire for power over time and history. And in the last analysis, other human beings, as well as a wish to consolate hidden powers, they contradict the honor, respect, and loving fear that we owe to God alone. So what they're saying is when we turn to medians as a means to communicate with our deceased loved ones, even if with good intention, it contradicts and fails to respect the loving fear that we owe God alone, the power God himself has over death, and the important role we play in praying for our loved ones to enter into the kingdom of heaven through his great mercy. That's why even St. Thomas Aquinas emphasizes the importance of understanding sins against curiosity. When we indulge in the vice of curiosity, we put off even the obligations we have with regard to understanding the importance of knowing what is good versus maybe trying to dive into information that could be unhealthy. Curiosity of our own future, the resting place of loved ones. Even when we try to communicate with the dead, it's ultimately St. Thomas Aquinas points to, it's us trying to communicate with demons and we don't realize it. And demons can manipulate matter. They have some knowledge of our history and they have the ability to provide information that, yes, perhaps we would only know us share with that faithfully departed loved one. Yet at the end of the day, it is us entering into a lack of trust in God, morbid curiosity that can be sinful. And what we're really called to is humility, trust in God's mercy and being guided to pray and intervene for our loved ones. We're going to come back diving into the topic of purgatory and some things that you can do as we prepare our own souls for heaven and God willing participate in God's mercy and his kingdom in the life to come. So what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's All Souls Day. November is the month we remember holy souls of friends and family who have passed from earthly life. Join us today, November 2nd through the 10th, as we pray a novena for your departed loved ones daily during Mass, the chaplet, and the family rosary. 
Submit the names of all your deceased friends and family today at relevantradio.com slash souls. Whether you've known just a few holy souls or a lot, submit them all. There's no limit and they all need our prayers. Go to relevantradio.com slash souls to create your list of departed loved ones. We'll all gather to pray at Novena November 2nd today through the 10th during Mass at noon Central, the Chaplet at 3 p.m. Central, and the Family Rosary Across America at 7 p.m. Central on the air, the app, and at relevantradio.com. I submitted my names of my friends and family members, mentors who've gone before me. I hope that you will as well at relevantradio.com slash souls. I'd like to hear your story. There have been many incredible and inspiring stories of loved ones who have died and died with great faith. So if you would like to share a story, please, it's All Souls Day. It's a great day where we can join together in praying for our loved ones who've deceased and to hear inspiring faith-filled stories because we need to remember always our death. Memento Mori. This was what we discussed on Halloween here on Trending. If you're not familiar with the tradition of the Church of Memento Mori, many of the saints marked this. And what Memento Mori means is remember your death or remember to die. All of us meet the same fate, but are we living in a way that will merit heaven? That is the question by the grace of Jesus Christ. If you would like to share the story of your loved one who departed with great faith, the number is 888-914-9149. Philip's on the line from Boston, Massachusetts. Philip, welcome to Trending. Please share with me the story of your faithfully departed loved one. Hi, Timory. Thank you so much. Um, well, my mom and dad were great Catholic examples for our whole family of six kids. And uh, they, they like to travel around different sites, <clears throat> um, different places around the, the country and around the world, um, going on vacations after they retired. Um, so my, they happened to go to um, a conference, a Catholic conference. And while they were there, they were heading to church uh, for the Feast of the Assumption. This happened last summer. And unfortunately, my, um, my, and my dad had a, a tragic accident. They were crossing a bridge, and it was a drawbridge, and it opened up. And um, my mom had made it to the other side, but he was, um, he was on the bridge when it opened, and he was holding on. And um, he unfortunately could not hold on the whole time, and he fell to his death. Uh, fortunately, my mother had made it across, and she did not have to witness that, um, that, mm. that scene of him holding on and falling. Um, um, but it, um, I think it's a blessing that he, he was on a pilgrimage to celebrate, to have mass uh, for the Feast of the Assumption. And we just celebrated his one-year anniversary uh, this past year. And his feast, his anniversary will always be on the Feast of the Assum- Assumption. Beautiful. And um, it, gives, it gives us great peace uh, knowing that he led a holy life an example for us, he, he was able to attend um, different different um, conferences with me um, and be just a holy example for our whole family. So that was, we believe, a, a blessing. Although tragic, tragic, it was mm-hmm. still a blessing. Phil, but what a beautiful testimony. And praise God, because of your faith and because of His faith, to the end and his example, you're able, yes, with sorrow to mourn the loss of your father, but to also see 
the providence and mercy of God. And look at that. I love that, Philip. Six children. He had this great example of faith. And here he dies on a pilgrimage on his way to Mass on the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Like you said, what a wonderful uh, anniversary for marking the death of your own father, even in the midst of tragic circumstances, that you can see him and how he led his life. And you're able to say he led a holy life with a great example. I, I think that it helps us to have encounters with people of faith who are able to die well. And I think that's part of Philip. Maybe the challenge, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. For many people today, there's this fear of death. Yet when you see the example of loved ones as this, I think it dissipates that fear and brings joy with regard to life after death even. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I could just, um, when we were, when we were little, um, we would, um, all kneel in a circle and say the, uh, the decades of the rosary. Um, he would, I could just hear him saying, and now and at the hour of our death, mm-hmm. amen. And just knowing that he has crossed, he has experienced that and, um, having faith that Mary was with him on that, those last mm-hmm. moments, um, that, that, gives us peace yes and that she that perhaps she intervened in helping to make it so that your mother didn't see the tragedy as well that our lady was there with your father in his death and even with your mother in that time what what a beautiful testimony philip thank you for sharing if you have a faith-filled story of dying well dying with faith i'd love to hear from you the number is 888-914-9149 i think Wrongfully so, we're in a culture that's afraid of death. There are celebrations of skeletons. There's an attempt to live forever with the push of transhumanism and AI. And yet, it's through death, the death at our baptism, with the death, the end of our life, earthly death, that allows us entrance into the kingdom of heaven if we live a holy life. So it brings me to the topic of purgatory. But if you still have your story, I'd love to hear it. The number is 888-914-9149. What do you know about purgatory? I'd like to share a little bit with you. On Before we do so, though, Andrea's on the line from Phoenix, Arizona. Andrea, welcome to Trending. What's your story of our faithfully departed loved one? Um, is my son. Uh, he was 28. He passed on 99 uh, due to a red light runner, but prior this whole year, he was so into his faith. He was 24 seven learning about, uh, father Chad Rippinger or mm-hmm. Taylor, um, Marshall. He was going to confession once a week. He was coming to mass with me during the week and sometimes on weekends. And we talk about saints. He'd be listening to Gregorian chants throughout his house, his lovely bride, uh, who's not Catholic, but supported him dearly, said the rosary daily, sometimes to incense. Um, Yeah. And when we were planning his funeral, I told her, I go, you know, I haven't told you this, Savannah, but I go, had Alec not met you, I think he'd be a priest. And she goes, you know what he told me? If I were to die and we didn't have any kids, he'd be a priest. Mm. So he wouldn't marry again. 
Andrea, thank you for sharing your story of your son. I imagine it's a, it's a real wound having just lost him a couple months ago. Pray for your son. I hope you'll share his name with us here at Relevant Radio so we can pray for him as well. But just hearing the story, you know, he, he died from a red light runner. You know, it's just unfathomable. He's insane death so young and someone in just right the prime of life as our culture perceives it yet what a testament here's a young man 28 years old was going to confession weekly going to daily mass often gave the example even to his non-catholic bride of the catholic faith and you were able to look at his faith and i admire too that you're not a mom here saying oh i had the saintly son but you're saying look at the good things he is doing it has to be a consolation for you as a mother to know that he was living a life striving to be in a state of grace by the fact that he was going to daily confession. Was that consoling for you? It was a weekly confession. Yeah. So, um, and then even going to breakfast with a a priest, you know, because we would go to, you know, he'd meet me Friday mornings, but on Saturdays he goes, mom, do you want to meet me here? Or how about we go here for mass? And we, we have, numerous conversations about different saints. He was devoted to Father P, uh, Pedro, uh, Padre Pio, Colby mm-hmm. Maximilian, St. Gabriel, St. Joseph. Oh, two weeks prior to his passing, he he went to uh, a a church meeting with uh, Father Don Calloway and learning about St. Joseph, um, the terror demons and he took he was married he got married outside of the church but they were planning to get married on 11 6 which would have been their anniversary inside the church and that's why they were waiting to have kids until they got married in the church you know to start a family so it sounded so, like he'd recently had a reversion into his catholic faith yeah deep reversion mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. his catholic faith his, his his this is what his wife said He's like, why are you so into your, you know, why are you so into your salvation? Because he told me, because she said, because you never know, Savannah, when God's going to call you. And one time we were walking into Mass. He goes, Mom, do you ever say the Jesus prayer? I go, which one is that meal? He goes, Lord Jesus, Son of our living God, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. I go, no, Mom. I go, no, me, I don't. He goes, well, maybe you should, because we never know when we're going to be called. He wore, he was wearing his scapular like um, he had a cross. I mean, he wore his face so faithfully, and he was so humble. Anytime I or a priest would offer a blessing, he was right there. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. He, he'd go up for a blessing because he couldn't go to communion right after me every single time, every single time. I love that you share this reversion of your son, that he, 28 years old, was making things right in his faith, bringing his church, his faith, his marriage into the church, having it blessed by the church, in the face of having been married outside of the church, that he was stepping in the right direction and going to weekly confession, going to Mass, that— I think that this is a great reminder that we need to have those good faith-filled examples that when we fall astray, we know where to turn back to. And it sounds like through your witness and witness of other loved ones in your own family, he was able to be guided back to his faith, even after, again, wandering away for a time. Praise God, he was able to die at a time when he was seeking the grace and mercy of Christ so frequently. Thank you for sharing your story, Andrea. My condolences and prayers for your son and for his young bride as well. You're listening to Trending with Tim right here on Relevant Radio. I'll be right back as we dive into what is purgatory. 
a little startling in terms of stories, but I think a great opportunity to be reminded of the importance, as you've heard from some of these stories, of dying well, staying faithful to Christ, and chasing after holiness. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's been inspiring today on All Souls Day to hear the stories of your loved ones who died a faith-filled death. It's a reminder to die well, to live well, to live a holy life. And please, if you take nothing else from this great feast day, apart from praying for the souls in purgatory, I hope you'll be inspired to go to confession to make your life right with God, and to fight to remain in a state of grace. What is purgatory? Before I dive into a little bit of the church's teaching on purgatory, I want to share with you a couple of stories that are challenging but hopefully inspiring for us to intervene for the souls in purgatory, but also to die well, to hopefully live a holy enough life by the grace of Jesus Christ to not spend too long in purgatory. I'll share with you about a plenary indulgence in just a moment, but I want to share with you first a story about a nun. I've heard this story a handful of times, and I was reminded about it again this morning by Father at Mass. It's a story of a nun who died at a convent. She'd been at the convent for over 50 years, and after her death, she appeared to the Mother Superior of the convent, and she appeared in flames. And she asked the mother superior if she had been a good person while she'd been there at the convent those 50 or so years. And the mother superior acknowledged her, her holiness, her kindness toward others, that, yeah, you know, she was good. And so then the nun, rather upset, asked the mother superior why the mother superior hadn't had masses celebrated for her after her death. You see... The mother superior then responded that this nun, this holy nun, had only died a few hours prior and a funeral mass was still being prepared for her. The deceased nun who appeared in flames was appearing to the mother superior from purgatory. And she shared that it was as if she had been there years, three or more years, yet it had only been a few hours since her death and the funeral arrangements were still being made for her mass. I've always taken from this story each time I hear it, the importance to pray for the souls in purgatory, especially people who have died who perhaps weren't Catholic or who might not have very many loved ones to pray for them still. But I also take from the story that God in his great mercy, and this is something distinctly Catholic, it's a Catholic moment, offers us the means and opportunity to unite our suffering to him to help in reducing the purgation that will have to occur in purgatory so that we might enter into heavenly glory with him sooner. The Catechism of the Catholic Church in Paragraph 1030 says, All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification, so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. So in other words, what does this mean? 
We need to die in a state of grace. No mortal sin. The moment of your death, that's the cutoff. Your opportunity has ended. We don't know the time or place of our death. Now, while we may still have venial sin, because of that, there is purging that may have to be done to prepare us to enter into heaven. Now, remember, when we pray the Apostles' Creed, we pray that acknowledgement that Jesus descended into hell, the place of the dead after the resurrection, or before the resurrection, but after his death. And then he ascended. Why did he descend there? Because he went to take those who were in hell, because it's believed that hell was the resting place for those who had died prior to Jesus' coming, even the faithfully departed who had died. And it's believed even that purgatory is in hell, because hell is separation from God. Hell is eternal separation from God. But purgatory, we have to suffer through purgatory to be purged of our sins, purged of our impurities prior to coming into perfect union with Christ. This is again a reminder of understanding those three parts of the church, the church militant, you and I here on earth, the church suffering and purgatory that we're called to intervene for, and the church triumphant, the glory of the saints in heaven who we celebrated yesterday on All Saints Day. Purification isn't easy. Virtue isn't easy. Getting over me, myself, and I isn't easy. How I think about it when I ponder purgatory is I think about it this way, and I think it's very reasonable. If God is perfect, how can I enter into the perfection of the beatific vision if I have not been purged of those impurities, the selfishness, the judgment? It would be unfathomable to fathom God's perfection if I was still holding on to those venial sins, although not mortal, those sins that are still getting in the way of my perfect conformity to Christ. Now, whenever I think of heaven, hell, purgatory, death, and judgment, I always turn back over and over again to one of the most recent married apparitions, Our Lady of Fatima, just a little over a hundred years ago, when she appeared yet again to just three young children, Lucia, Jacinta, and Francisco. The thing that always strikes me uncomfortably about Our Lady of Fatima's apparitions is that she gave these three young children a vision of hell. She showed them a look into hell. And every time I think about Our Lady of Fatima, it's startling for me to ponder that she would go so far. There's that saying that some people might say, that well, hopefully that scares the hell out of you. Like, hopefully you'll be turned straight. You'll have some sort of experience. If you have an experience that you'll get your life right with God or you won't engage in that particular action. In a certain respect, we can say that Our Lady to little children showed them hell. Now, many people today don't like to think that hell is real. And many people have false theology. I've actually been receiving calls about it all out hour about how God saves all souls. That's not Catholic church teaching. Yet for some reason, many people have believed that to be Catholic church teaching, especially over the last 60 years or so. But that's nowhere in the teachings of the church. Even if you read the gospel, look at the gospel from today. God separates the sheep from the goats. God does give a final judgment to us. I even think of the story of the wise virgins, those who were awaiting Christ, who trimmed their lamp so that they had the light necessary to see Jesus Christ when he came, and those who weren't prepared for Christ. And when they begged Christ, 
after they had to leave to go and get more light and they missed his coming, they come and ask, Lord, Lord, Kurio, Kurio, let us in. God says, I don't even know you. Why? Because they didn't spend their lives preparing for Christ. They didn't spend their lives knowing Christ. They were distracted by the ways of the world. They were distracted by maybe even good things, but not the best things. The best thing is this world is Christ. And he's the only thing that we will enjoy in the afterlife. And that is what is so important when we look at the vision of Fatima is that she had enough mercy. She had enough love to show children hell at a time where we would usher in a century that denies the reality of hell, that denies the reality of salvation. So I challenge you, pray for the souls in purgatory. Make amends. Go to confession. Prepare your soul to receive our Lord. And if you know someone who's perhaps coming up on the end of their life, maybe even on their deathbed, help them to die well. Help them to die in a state of grace by offering them confession, turning to a priest, finding a priest that's available that can come to them, finding a priest to give them the anointing of the sick. Now, here we are in the midst of what will be an octave of the great feast day of All Souls Day. And it is a feast day. It's a celebration of God's mercy on us so that we might enter into heaven. But we still have to pray for those in purgatory. Now, there's an opportunity for a plenary indulgence. A plenary indulgence is the removal of temporal punishment due to sin. The Catechism of the Catholic Church Paragraph 1471 says, An indulgence is a remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven. So in other words, you have to go to confession for your sins, but there's still temporal punishments, including the time we will spend in purgatory. And so it's the hope through true detachment to sin and receiving a plenary indulgence that we can work on doing away with some of that purgatory time so that there's less junk less sin, less bad habits between us and Christ. So how do you receive a plenary indulgence on All Souls Day? You have to, During this octave of All Souls Day, you have to visit a cemetery and pray for the dead. You're, you need to receive Holy Communion at Mass. Go to confession. Pray for the deceased, by the way, when you go to the cemetery. And you also need to pray for the Pope's intentions. Now, You need to be detached from sin as well, detached from all sin. I don't know if you're detached from all sin. I may not be detached from all sin. However, even if you are not totally detached from all sin, you might receive a partial indulgence, some forgiveness of temporal punishment. But I encourage you, use today, not tomorrow, not a year from now, to make your life right with God, to work on scraping those things, eradicating those leaves, things out of your life that are leading you attached to things you shouldn't be attached to so that you can have rightly ordered attachments to Jesus Christ so that you can become a vessel of his mercy, his grace, and his love. All Souls Day is a day to pray for our faithfully departed, but it's also a reminder, I hope, to work on getting our own lives right with God. And to be inspired by the stories as we've heard today on Trending. If you didn't, I please hope you'll listen to today's podcast episode of people who share the stories of their faithfully departed, who are making amends, who are uniting their life to God, who lived holy lives and showed an example of what it is to live a holy death. 
You've been listening to Trending with Tim Marie. Please pray for me. I'm praying for you. Up next is Family Rosary Across America, where we will pray together for the souls of our faithfully departed. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Why do men need their wives to be beautiful? What does this mean? A superficial beauty or an interior beauty? Are they mutually exclusive? What sort of effort and expectation should we have of ourselves as women when it comes to beauty standards? Also, what is the mission of men and women in marriage? I'll discuss this with Devin Shad Friday on Trending. Join me daily, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.